Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. This is the Entree Architect Podcast, Episode 74. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, you're in the process of launching a startup, or you may be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Each month, a group of dedicated architect bloggers led by my friend Bob Borson over at Life of an Architect blog, we all participate on an online event called Architalks. Bob assigns a specific topic or a theme, and we each prepare a post written in response to that very specific subject, and we all coordinate our posts to go live at the same time. A few of the topics that we've explored in the past have been crafty, architecture in the real world, favorite things, a day in the life. This is exciting, so you can kind of see how this works. Bob is busy this this week uh, or this month running his Life of an Architect uh, Playhouse competition. So my friend Marika McKeel over at Studio MM grabbed the reins and took control of the architects, uh, Architalks this month. And Marika selected the topic Favorite Places. And if you search Twitter or Facebook for the hashtag Architalks, 
Uh, I'm sure you will find many of the new posts that went live early this morning. This is uh, April 30th, it's Thursday, April 30th. Um, and I'm sure if you search the hashtag Architalks, you'll find all of the posts that went live this morning. And I'll also link to all those posts on the show notes for this episode over at entrearchitect.com slash episode 74. I really, really love this Architalk series. We now have more than two dozen or more architects participating. And, and it's so interesting to see how each of us responds to a few simple words. You know, when a theme is announced, there's no background, there's no influence, there's, there's no suggestion on what to write. We simply receive the theme. And in the past, I've participated here uh, on the podcast and over at the blog, depending on, uh, on the, the time of the, the week and, and how I want to present it. This week, here on the Entree Architect podcast, I'm going to share my thoughts on this month's Architects topic, Favorite Places. Support for everything we do here at Entree Architect is provided by our platform sponsor, FreshBooks. The easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time, FreshBooks. For a free 30-day trial, visit freshbooks.com slash architect. Way up on the northern border of New York State, the St. Lawrence River separates the United States from Canada. It is a beautiful river. It is clean and clear. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing place to be. You can see to the bottom of this river, 50 feet deep. You could be, you could be on a boat, look down at 50 feet. You can see the, the fish swimming by. It is a beautiful place. The St. Lawrence River connects the Atlantic Ocean to the Great Lake Ontario here in the United States. And it's one of the largest rivers in North America. It is technically, it's the outflow of the entire Great Lakes system. The Great Lakes holds about 20% of the entire world's fresh water. That is an amazing statistic that I just learned. 20% of the entire world's fresh water is in the uh, American Great Lakes. According to the preservation organization Save the River, you can check them out at savetheriver.org. It's a great organization. The St. Lawrence River flows about 744 miles from Lake Ontario into the world's largest estuary, the Gulf of St. Lawrence. And then that leads out into the Atlantic Ocean. And at the river's deepest point, it's 250 feet deep. That is amazing. 250 feet deep this river is in places. And just east of Lake Ontario, at the mouth of the river, and it's interesting that the St. Lawrence River flows from Lake Ontario north, northeast to the Gulf of St. Lawrence and out to the Atlantic Ocean. We think of most rivers flowing south or in the northern hemisphere, south toward the equator, but but since this is essentially a giant drainage ditch created millions of years ago by massive glaciers draining the Great Lakes into the ocean, the river flows north. So just east of Lake Ontario, at the upper St. Lawrence River, which is at its most southern point, there is a place called the Thousand Islands region of the St. Lawrence River. And there's actually almost 2,000 islands in the Thousand Islands region 
1,864 islands to be exact. And to be considered an island, they, this is funny, my kids always laugh about this, that to, to be considered an island, the piece of land must be surrounded by water. That's obvious, right? That's what makes it an island. But it must be above water line all year long. So winter, spring, summer, fall needs to be above the water line. And it needs to support at least one tree. <laughs> so there are small outcroppings in the Thousand Islands, no larger than, say, a, a baseball pitcher's mound that is above water and has one skinny little tiny tree growing up through the cracks in the rocks. And it's counted as one of the 1,864 islands in the Thousand Islands region. I, that's really funny because we can take the boat out while we're up there and sort of go through the the uh, the river and, and see these little rocks and say, oh, there's an island, oh, there's an island, there's an island. So it's uh, it's funny that, that if it's a rock with a tree sticking out of it, it is counted as an island. And when I was a kid, my family spent all of our summer weekends and vacations somewhere next to water. It was a major part of me growing up was being on the water. Uh, Mom and dad loved being on the water and, and to this day loved being on the, on the water. And it's, it was a major part of my childhood is being on the, on the water. And when I was, when I was uh, growing up, my grandparents, my mother's mother and father, my Nana and Papa, they had a house on Lake Hopacon, Lake Hopacon in New Jersey. And it's the largest lake in New Jersey. And we would be there every weekend. My dad had a boat that was that was docked at my Nana and Pop-Pop's house. And uh, every weekend we'd be there out on the boat and hanging out at the, at the, at the lake house. And that's the place where I learned to swim and where I learned to boat. And every weekend, my, my grandfather, my pop-up, he was a sales rep for Schaefer Breweries, the beer company, and he knew everybody. He was the most social person I've ever met in my entire life. And uh, every weekend, he had friends stopping by at the lake house, and, and it was always a party there. And it was, it was such a, a, a social place and a place, you know, my... my, my my grandparents were so hospitable that they invited everybody to come to their lake house. And so as, as, a, as an adult now looking back, that those memories at that lake house were, are so important to me. And, and the memories of my grandmother and my grandfather and how they treated people. To this day, uh, I, I look at as a model for me on how to treat other people and how to... Um, how to to make friends. And my my grandfather, my pop up, was the one who gave me the book How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, and you know he wanted us to know how to also make friends and influence people because he very clearly understood how to do that. He was very successful at what he did, and so I remember being at Lake Opacon, uh every weekend, and uh, and some really great memories with friends there. Then we would also vacation. So those were the weekends. On the vac- we would also vacation uh, during the summer at the Jersey Shore. We stayed at a place called Ocean Beach. My parents would rent a small cottage on the bay side. There's at, in, in on the Jersey Shore. It is the the beach that is the Atlantic Ocean on one side, on the east side, and then on the other side. Um, 
there is a big bay. And so on the bay side, we, we were always in the bay side because my dad would always bring his boat. And there was a, uh, a community called Ocean Beach, which was just south of Point Pleasant and north of Seaside, where we would stay. And coincidentally, my wife, Anne-Marie, um, she too vacationed in Ocean Beach in New Jersey. We did not know each other at the time. Um, but, you know, when we got married and we started talking about our childhood, you know, those were the, that was one of the things that we brought up. And we both vacationed at Ocean Beach. We both rented houses at Ocean Beach. There was a very good chance that we played together on the beach in Ocean Beach as, you know, as seven and eight and nine and ten-year-olds. So uh, we don't remember that, but, but it's a very good chance that that happened. And so it's, it's a funny story. Um, we would go to the Jersey Shore every year at the same time as the uh, the offshore powerboat races. My dad's boats are all high-performance uh, powerboats. And um, we would go down, at the time it was called the Benihana uh, Offshore Grand Prix. Benihana, I think they're still around. Benihana was a Japanese steakhouse, and they sponsored the race. And every year there would be these big offshore cigarette type boats that would go out and they would race out in the ocean. And again, amazing memories. My parents would invite friends to those cottages and they would come and we'd have big parties and we'd go out and watch the races. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. And so these are all places. These are all some of my favorite places. Uh, Lake George, New York, every summer, in addition to going to Jersey Shore, we would also spend a week or 10 days at, at Lake George in the Adirondack Mountains in New York State. And we would every year we'd rent a different house or stay at a cottage. And uh, Dad would bring up his boat. And we would spend hours on the lake visiting islands and racing around and rafting up in Paradise Bay and having lunch. And, and uh, those were some amazing memories. If you go back to the very first episode of the Entrepreneur Architect podcast, episode zero, my introduction episode, I talk about Lake George and some of the memories that I had at Lake George. Um, I really enjoyed doing that first episode. So you may want to go back and, and listen to episode zero uh, of the Entrepreneur Architect podcast and, and hear a little bit about my my stories at Lake George. And also as a kid, every fall, my dad would join his friends and he would head up to the St. Lawrence River uh, for his annual fishing trip. So he and three or four of his buddies would find their way to to Clayton, New York, or Alexandria Bay, or they would go across the river to the to the uh, Canadian side in Gananoque, Ontario, and they would spend a week or ten days fishing, and they would uh, go up for a week, and they would catch pike and bass and muskie, and and so, you know, as a kid, I knew all about one of my dad's favorite places, a place called the Thousand Islands. And I didn't know, I was never there. I, I never knew what it was, but I knew that it was a river and I knew there were a lot of fish and a lot of really big fish because he would, he would bring home some of the fish so we can eat them. And um, he would catch big, you know, 30-inch, 36-inch long pike or muskie and big heavy bass and it's great fishing up at the St. Lawrence River. Very clean, uh, clear, fresh water. So, I, I knew about this place through my dad, but I was never there, and, and it was really a trip for the guys. It wasn't a it was not a place for uh, in our family for family vacation. But when I was a teen, you know, we would go to Lake George every summer. But Lake George was getting very crowded 
with tourists. It was it was becoming a very hustle bustle place, and it was no longer the serene getaway that it once was when I was a little boy. So when I was uh, probably around 15 or 16, mom and dad started going up to the St. Lawrence River for their annual summer vacations. And but we were teenagers, and so my brothers, you know, didn't didn't go. My younger brother would go, and and I I was old enough, you know, still young enough before college to go as well. And, and, and so I did go up to the St. Lawrence river as we, uh, as I became, uh, a teen and, uh, and we would stay at Alexandria Bay. So I would get a little sense of, um, of the St. Lawrence river and what that was all about. And I learned very quickly, um, what that river was all about. And looking back, da- you know, looking back, I knew very well why my dad loved this river so much. It, it's, it's, it's the people are friendly and the place is, uh, is just an amazing place. And so, um, I, my best memory as a teen, as a kid going up to the St. Lawrence river was that we would, we once it was, um, uh, we went up to Alexandria Bay and we were looking at some of the marinas and my dad was showing me this one boat. It was called a hydro stream. It was probably about 16, 17 feet long. Very light boat, very low and thin, very cool looking, very swoopy, but very very aerodynamic with a big, big high horsepower outboard motor on the back of it. And um, he, uh, he convinced the, uh, the person who was selling the boat in the marina uh, to give us a ride. And we took the hydro stream out, my dad and me, and we... Uh, went out onto the river and at the time I hadn't been out I don't believe the we had the the boat with us and so it was just we weren't it was the first time I was out on the river and the river was perfectly still and perfectly flat and there was not a ripple on it and this hydro stream went so fast and it would it would come up out of the water and it would just barely touch the water and we would it was like flying it was amazing um, and as, to this day, one of my best memories of being up at the river as a kid there, there uh, is, that, is that time with my dad on that hydro stream crossing, uh, crossing across the river and through the islands on this, this glass-like water. It was truly, truly uh, an amazing experience and something that I treasure to this day. And so the St. Lawrence River is absolutely one of my favorite places. Let's just take a quick break to thank FreshBooks for support as a platform sponsor. Because as a platform sponsor, FreshBooks has provided funding and support for our mission here at Entrepreneur Architect to become an influential force in the profession of architecture. They recognize the need for small firms to build better businesses in order to be better architects. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help us small firm owners get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. And it takes care of invoicing, expense tracking, estimating, reporting, and it all happens out on the cloud. So wherever we have access to the internet, we have access to our information. And there's three reasons why you should take a look at FreshBooks. Number one, it saves time. FreshBooks customers spend less time on billing each month, freeing up to two days per month to focus on the work that they love. What would you do with two extra days per month? That's pretty good. 
Number two is they get paid faster with FreshBooks. You can easily invoice clients from your desk or on the go. In fact, FreshBooks customers get paid an average of five days faster. Getting paid five days faster definitely helps your cash flow. So number two is you get paid faster. That's a number two reason why you should take a look at FreshBooks. And number th- number three is to grow your business. FreshBooks says that they're built to support the growing needs of businesses. On average, FreshBooks customers double double their revenue in the first 24 months. That's pretty amazing. 20, first, double their revenue in the first 24 months, uh, according to, to FreshBooks. And, and to access a free 30-day trial, I want you to go do this because it is free. And I think that this is something that will help you as a small firm architect. Go try out FreshBooks for 30 days. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect. And in the how did you hear about us section, make sure you let them know that Entree Architect sent you so they will continue supporting Entrepreneur Architect as a platform sponsor. So freshbooks.com slash architect and enter Entree Architect in the how did you hear about us section. A few years before Anne-Marie and I got married, mom and dad bought a little house on the St. Lawrence River. It's a small fishing cottage, no more than a thousand square feet, probably a lot less than that, but it's a, it's a little tiny uh, a cottage, you know, including the porch and the finished attic. The finished attic has three small bedrooms and a little alcove where there's a fourth bed, um, no more than a thousand square feet. And today, mom and dad spend their summers up there, May through October, you can find mom and dad up at the St. Lawrence River. And the house is part of a small collection of cottages that, that line the edge of Mullet Creek Bay uh, in, a, in, a, in a community called Arcadia Park at Fisher's Landing in the town of Orleans in New York State. And the properties are very close together and they're just big enough to support the house. There's a small patch of grass out on the roadside and there's a small patch of grass lining the bay uh, and there's the house and there's just enough you know, property to, to get from the back to the front. And there's a dock, you know, the, the house, all these houses are right up on, on the bay. So, you know, 25 feet from the house is the edge of the water. And dad has a dock out for his boats. He has a 17 foot Boston whaler and a 30 foot scarab, which is a open cockpit, um, fishing boat, but it's a high performance boat. It's got two big 275 horsepower engines on the back of it. So it's very fast and it's a lot of fun. And uh, so the dock is out there for his boats and he can go fishing and boating whenever he wants. And and um, it's a it's a dream come true for mom and dad to have this house. And I, I'd say, you know, these days dad probably spends more time tinkering on the house than he does fishing or boating, but, but I think that's what he loves to do. Um, and in this community, there's about two dozen homes, and the, and the people who live there have become very, very close with mom and dad, especially the neighbors. There's a next-door neighbor uh, that's directly next door, and the people behind them are all a, a, technically a family. They're, it's the mother, the grandmother and the grandfather, and the um, next door are the, the son and his family who, who come up during the weekends there. And they have young kids that are the same age as my kids, so... When my kids go up there, they get to hang out with their friends up there. But these people have all become like families. And when you go up there, it's like one big, long, extended family. And and uh, at the end of each summer, after the summer swim season is over for my kids and, and all the camps are finished, 
you know, we head up to the river house. I head up to the river house with just my three kids, just me and James and Henry and Charlotte, just the, the four of us. And Anne-Marie stays home with her dogs um, and has her own vacation at home without the kids. So she gets some time away uh, from the kids and, and gets an opportunity to be all by herself, and which she really enjoys. And the kids and I stay with my mom and dad up at the house, at the river house, enjoying the river and the peace and the quiet and the sunsets, which, which drop down just across the river right in front of the house every single night. And there's there's a, a set of wooden Adirondack chairs that that sit up right up on a little hill next to the house that overlook everything. Uh, in those chairs, you can you can see up and down the river and across the river to the sunsets. And sitting in that chair, watching my kids play on this small rocky beach that Dad covered with sand, or or watching them out in their in the boats rowing across to one of the rocky islands out in the bay, that chair with that view is one of my favorite places. One of my favorite places on earth. That that five square feet of earth with that chair on top of it is when I think about where I want to be, that's where I want to be. And one of the one of the great things about this river is that when you're sitting there and you're looking out, it becomes part of you. Anybody who's been to the St. Lawrence River knows what I'm talking about. It becomes part of you. Whether you've just visited there or you've spent summers there or whether you live there, that river, and it may be all rivers, I don't know. I haven't ever lived at other rivers, but that river, really, it becomes a part of who you are. Um, and and the, the, the region is such an amazing place. As an, as an architect, it is filled with things to see. Um, the St. Lawrence River was once the playground for the rich and famous. And just east of Fisher's Landing, with my pa- where my parents are, is Alexandria Bay. It's a small river village, which today is full of restaurants and tourist shops. It's sort of honky-tonky these, these days. Um, but at one time, this was, like, this was the hub of this region. Well, it really is still the hub of this region. But at one time, it was, it was the place of the rich and famous. And if you look out into the river uh, or take a boat and tour the islands, you can see the, the beautiful mansions built around the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, during the time called the Gilded Age. This is when, when, um, when Vanderbilt was building his mansions and Rockefeller was building his mansions. This time, there were there were very very wealthy people, and this is where they came. If you look out from Alexandria Bay, there's a an island called Hart Island, and on it is a castle, a real castle, and it was built. It's called Bolt Castle, and it was built by the hotel magnate um, George C. Bolt, and uh, who was the um, uh, he ran the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. And he built this castle as a gift to his beloved wife. And the castle was never finished. So it was abandoned by Bolt uh, because his wife suddenly passed away and he was so heartbroken, he never returned to the castle. And he literally just left it and it was a ruin. And uh, for 75 years, it was a ruined castle. And it was amazing. When I was a kid, we, we um, as a teenager, I visited the castle. And it was owned, and it is owned today, by the Port Authority of New York. And I believe it's in some sort of connection with Canada. And so they sort of jointly own it. 
And when I was a teen, it was still abandoned. And so it was this modern ruin, this castle that you could go to and take tours of. And you would walk through it and you would see this ruined castle. And it was so exciting to see all the, because you can see the stained glass and, and the and the stonework and the railings and the woodwork. And it was all there, but it was never finished. And then it was, and weather had come in and the, there were holes in, in, the, in the roof and it, it was such an amazing place. And over the years since then, the Port Authority have, have restored it, have really turned it into a tourist attraction. And it's, it's no longer what it once was. Um, it's, it's still a great place to go, but it sort of, it was, they, they finished it as if Bolt finished it, but it was never really finished. And for me as a purist, historic, you know, preservation and the, the historic preservationist side of me that just kills me that they did that. So I wish they didn't because I remembered it, what it was, and it was so much fun to, to be there. There's also Singer Castle, which was once known as the Towers on Dark Island. And that's, that was designed by Ernest Flagg for Frederick Gilbert Bourne, who was the president of the Singer Manufacturing Company, which, was, which made the Singer sewing machines. And there, there was also islands that were originally built by the founders of Rand McNally Company, the, the map company, and the inventor of the, the original Lifesavers Candy and the, the founder of the Lehigh Railroad. And so there, there was all these houses that, that are on these islands that dot the river throughout the Thousand Islands that you can take a boat and you can travel for hours and see all these beautiful houses. And so it's so exciting. Also across the river from the river house, from my parents' river house is Wellesley Island, which is a big, big island that if you take route 81 all the way north, you actually land right there. It, it goes across the river and lands on Wellesley Island and then continues on to Canada. There's a, on the west end of Wellesley Island, there's a small turn of the century community called Thousand Islands Park. And it's a development of vintage Victorian cottages that people have restored and have kept up over the years. And every summer we take a trip over to Wellesley Island and we visit these amazing homes. So I come home every year filled with inspiration and I'm, I'm ready to apply all these ideas that I have from all these old places that we've visited. But, you know, I, I, I don't even need to do anything when I'm at the river for it to be something uh, that, that fills me with inspiration. Just sitting there watching the river flow by, that is where I love to be, just sitting there watching the river flow by. So, you know, after one week of being there with my kids, I pack up and I head home and I leave the kids there and they get to stay there for another week or two. Uh, depending on the school calendar, sometimes they get to spend one more week or sometimes they get to spend two more weeks. And so altogether, they spend three weeks at the river and they get to stay with my mom and dad who are Mata and Pata to them for weeks uh, without Anne-Marie or me. So those are memories that they are developing, that they will never forget. That's a time that my mom and dad and my kids get to spend time together and bond um, and when they look, my, when my kids look back on their childhoods, those weeks at the river with Mata and Pata will be the first memories that fill their mind. Those are the things that they're going to remember as a kid. Those are the things that I talk about all the time on the podcast. Those are the things that matter most. You need to do the things that matter most. You need to find time to do the things that matter most. You need to, to look for these opportunities, like my kids spending time with my parents um, those are opportunities that will only happen for a short amount of time in their lifespans. So we need to do it now while we can. 
And we are so blessed to have such a beautiful place like the St. Lawrence River with wonderful friends and such an amazing family. And sitting in that wooden Adirondack chair, watching the sun drop below the horizon, that is one of my favorite places on earth. I will include links to all the Architalks posts over at the show notes at entrearchitects.com slash episode 74. And I encourage you to visit every site and leave a comment and let them know about what you think about what they wrote because every post is going to be different. Everyone approaches these topics with a different experience and different influences. So they're all going to be unique and different. So I encourage you to go go check out entrearchitects.com slash episode 74. That will take you to the show notes for this episode. And on that episode show notes, there's going to be a link to everybody who contributed to this month's Architalks series. And if you like this episode, please go to iTunes and leave me a review because this is how you may help me spread the word about Entrepreneur Architect and our mission to become an influential force in the profession. I have big news coming up. I know I've been teasing this for a while and it's developing, but we're becoming an influential force in this profession, I promise you. So it's happening because of you. You know, it's not me. Nobody knows who I am unless you share me. So go to entrearchitects.com slash iTunes or go directly to iTunes and search for Entrepreneur Architect and you'll find me there and leave me a review. I would appreciate it. So that's a wrap on today's show. Show notes and a direct link to this download uh, for this episode can be found at entrepreneurarchitect.com slash episode 74. And this week's quote of the week, the whole secret of a successful life is to find out what is one's destiny to do and then do it. Henry Ford. My name is Mark Arlepage and I am an entrepreneur architect and I can't wait to go up to the river. I got a couple of months, but I'm looking forward to actually may may go up there in June with my friends, with my buddies and go, probably won't go fishing. We'll probably go boating, but uh, I'm looking forward to that. So I'll see you next week. Until then. mentioned it to my family but in terms of telling people like oh yeah we're doing this i'm looking for projects you got anything i'm I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me dreaming of launching your own architecture firm well buckle up for a wild ride with emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm where do we begin we don't even know what type of business to formalize as is it an llc is it an llp like how are taxes i mean the list is astronomical season one featured founders jeffrey lexi and chris owners of level studio architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio one evening stumbled into one last dive we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, 
sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.